Greetings, church. My name is Jason, one of the elders at Church in the Square. Today we are opening up our Bibles to Psalm 27. So would you please meet me in Psalm 27, in kind of in the middle of your uh, Bibles. And uh, as always, if you need help finding a book of the Bible, the table of contents is really helpful, or you can type in uh, Psalm 27. We are taking a break from our Roman study as we ended the opening portion uh, of that last Sunday. And then uh, next week we'll be in our Advent series. And so today we wanted to take some time to consider uh, this particular psalm. It's, I think, a timely psalm for us to consider in the middle of the season that we find ourselves uh, because it's all about waiting. And if there is anything that describes our sort of collective experience, if you will, uh, over the past year, waiting seems like a really good candidate to be a, a word, an idea, an experience that really touches all of our uh, stories, all of our lives. Um, I think that we uh, certainly have faced that waiting in different ways. And in particular, I think through suffering, um, suffering in many different forms. And it's been a year of incredible suffering. I mean, if you think about it, and I think that we should, that, that families have lost mothers and fathers, children, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Uh, many communities are without some of their most formidable members. Uh, in fact, just around the corner from my house, a house is for sale because the owner of that home passed away from COVID. These are very real implications of real suffering that's taken place. Healthcare workers are being stretched beyond uh, perhaps anything that you have experienced, many of our uh, people, our brothers and sisters at Church in the Square serve in those capacities. They've been stretched beyond anything they could have ever uh, experienced. People are without work. Children are learning in our homes, uh, which presents all different kinds of tension. There is uh, businesses are closing. Businesses are trying to make it and survive. And we haven't even seen each other as a church family since April. And so there's so many different things that make this a really, really hard year. And now we face a holiday, uh, our holiday season with uncertainty and, and likely disappointment, frustration or fear, hard family conversations. All of these things are giving us this experience of waiting over and over Again, because this type of suffering that, that you and I have experienced and are in the middle of, whether directly or indirectly as a community, as a country, as, as a global community, leads to waiting. This kind of suffering always leads to waiting. At the very least, what we're waiting for is some kind of understanding. To be sure, for decades to come, COVID-19 will be researched, it will be investigated, it will be studied. Um, and at the very best, what we hope for is a vaccine. And by God's grace, uh, the pain and the loss and the restrictions that we face will be alleviated uh, when a vaccine is introduced. And so we, we trust the Lord in this. And yet we're still waiting. We're still waiting for long term understanding. We're still waiting for perhaps short term uh, respite from the suffering and the pain and the waiting and the discomfort uh, because after all, even when a vaccine comes, research suggests that communities will be recovering physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially for decades to come. This is one of the reasons, not because of the pandemic, but years before the pandemic, that psychologist Diane Langberg uh, wrote this. She said, I think a look at suffering humanity 
would lead to the realization that trauma is perhaps the greatest mission field of the 21st century. Think about that before even all of the implications of what this past year has brought. She understood and saw a mission field for the church, walking in the middle of suffering, walking in the middle of trauma, to understand, to go to people in the middle of their need, our our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, our family members, so that they might see and savor the brilliance and beauty of Jesus in the middle of their trauma, in the middle of their pain. See, what, what I think... Um, Professor Langberg is getting at and what we need to, I think, understand is that long after this pandemic, we will be walking with people in this posture of healing. And the local church is not immune. There there are things going on in the local church that we need to pay attention to, not not just ours, but other churches in our city and our country and all over the world. In fact, in an interview back in August with NPR, David Kinnaman, who's the president of Barna Research Group shared that one in five churches already in August in the United States were facing permanent closure, whether from lack of attendance, lack of resources, lack of ability to maintain ministry, one in five in August. And, and even since then, we've seen an escalation of some of that, that tension. See, what, what I think that we need to come to grips with is a really challenging thing to, uh, I think, understand, which is that to be a Christian is to wait. What, what we're experiencing now should not be new. To be sure, the experiences are different than we've ever exper- experienced before. But the, the posture of waiting is something that we Christians do. Few things describe us, or rather should describe us better than waiting. I, I want to suggest to you that waiting is the condition where faith and hope and love converge into this daily experience, which is the very essence of being a follower of Jesus. We are constantly desiring at this big picture to see the Lord return, to Christ come back, to set things to rights, to bring heaven and earth together in in complete and eternal matrimony where we will be welcomed into his presence forevermore. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more disease, no more pandemic, no more tension, no more waiting. We long for that day. So to be a Christian is to wait to be a Christian is to wait for that. This is, this is what it means for us to have faith in Jesus, not just in what he has done, but what he has promised to do to return and to set things to rights. And, and therefore, in, in daily little moments, reflect this big picture of what it means to be a Christian, that we wait. We wait upon the Lord for our provision. We wait upon the Lord for our daily bread. We ought to wait upon the Lord for our finances, for our health, for, for marriage, for children, whatever it may be. We, we don't just want it, we wait for it in the Lord. See, that means that however much longer we have in this pandemic, we have a unique opportunity as followers of Jesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling and to reflect in this moment what it means to be a follower of Jesus through waiting. See, the problem with waiting, though, is that we get tired I cannot tell you, this was already something that we faced, but, but ultimately, I cannot tell you how many times the first interaction I have with somebody, and the question is, how are you doing? Tired is what comes up, right? There is this, this general weariness that we have. And, and let's think about it again, this progression that we've just uh, considered, that suffering leads to waiting, and waiting produces this weariness. It's like what Bilbo Baggins said to Gandalf 
in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings. He, he said this near the beginning of book one, chapter one. He says, I am old, Gandalf. I don't look it, but I am beginning to feel it in my heart of hearts, well-preserved indeed. Why? I feel all thin, sort of stretched. If you know what I mean, like butter, he says, that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change or something. We are a people who have been scraped and spread thin by a year unlike any other. We're weary, we're exhausted, we are tired, we are fatigued, we are forlorn, we are grieved, we have suffered, we daily walk through the strain and mental drain of what it means to walk through such a season. We long for change, and yet we have to keep waiting. And let's be honest, when we're weary, when we're weary like this, we don't wait well. Psalm 27 is all about waiting, and it will be instructive for us in this moment, in this season. See, because in it, David gives us a realistic view of the tension or struggle between the already or not and not yet. The, the, what we are experiencing and what we long for. See, there, there are fears and questions. There are memories of deliverance, but threat is approaching quickly and battles is happening in the writer's heart and mind to believe and to trust, to be, to be honest, but to be hopeful. See, the writer has been scraped as you and I have, incredibly thin. Psalm 27 then is his fight in the middle of all of that and therefore a fight that you and I get to participate with in as well, a fight for joy and for faith and for belief and hope in the middle of waiting. So let's read it together, Psalm 27. Hear this, the very words of God. Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to long, to rather to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Verse five, for he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses 
have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have already conceded and together as a community admit before you, we are weary. We are tired. In many respects, we are coming to the end of ourselves and yet your word is really clear. This is what it's like to be yours. This is what it's like to, to live life in, in, on this planet in this human experience is to wait upon you with faith, with hope. And we know that we will not wait in vain. So I pray you'd encourage us. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that your your presence would comfort your people today. I pray that for my sisters. I pray that for my brothers. And I pray that you would do that as you so faithfully do through your word. So be with us now as we open your word that we might, uh, Father, hear rightly your voice and respond in obedience and joy. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Now, the best way to read a psalm is much differently than it is to read an epistle like Romans. We, we read a psalm sort of trying to get the big picture of what a psalmist is communicating. So we read the whole and we try to, if you will, zoom out to sort of behold the fullness of it, to, to catch that picture, that big picture of what a psalmist is trying to communicate. See, an epistle, we zoom in and we, we try to dissect different words because it's, it's doctrine and it's a response to a particular community's questions or concerns or uh, sins and frustrations that they're going through, the tension that they have in their community. And so unlike Romans, we're going to zoom out with Psalm 27 to get that full picture so that we feel the flow. We feel the stanzas, if you will, because this is not a letter like Romans. Psalm 27, along with many Psalms, are, are much more like poetry, much more like songs to be sung. And so they, they're to be experienced, not just dissected. They, they are to be sort of heard and allow them to wash over us. Not, not because they're not telling us truths about God that, that should be studied and learned uh, intricately and, and in detail, but rather because they teach us the doctrines of God. They're the truths of God in a much different way. It's not a letter written by an apostle to a local church. It is a song being sung, in this case, by a shepherd king named David. And so it, it, we, we approach it differently because it was written differently. And so in this particular psalm, David, again, is the writer. And he's in this familiar space, familiar to any of us who believe in the God of the Bible. There, there's something uh, to be true, or rather something that we know to be true in our heads and our hearts, and something that we know about uh, the, the character and what we desire to trust about God. There, there is something that then we read in the scriptures and know in our heads. So there's this experience with God. There's these truths in the scriptures. And yet there's this thing in life that we have faced again. A moment, a, a, a need, an, an adversity, a challenge, a sorrow, whatever it might be. And so we are, we are desperate truly desperate to, to see the things that we know about God, that we've read about God, that we've sung about God, that we have even experienced about God in years past or in different circumstances. We long to see those things show up in real space and real time in a new need. That's the space that David's in. 
That's the space that we find ourselves in, a familiar space for anyone who knows and loves the God of the Bible, because this is the great burden of the Christian life, reading the truths of God in the scriptures and waiting for those things to come to bear in real life, whether it's provision for a job or it's the return of Christ. In all of these things, we read the truths of scripture and we desire, we long for those things to be fulfilled before our very eyes. This is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see that that interplay or that inner exchange there, that the promised kingdom of heaven and the glories of God, they are true. Jesus has taught these things to his disciples, particularly most immediately in chapter five in Matthew. He's taught them the nature of the kingdom. And, and yet Jesus' disciples waited and we wait for the fullness of these powers to manifest on earth. And in fact, he calls them to be participants in that waiting through prayer. So David's in that space. The disciples are in this space. And we now take up this space as, as much a touchstone of our faith's heritage as anything else. See, the people of God are a people who wait. So we should not be surprised when God wills, when he providentially and sovereignly wills, calls us into a season and a moment and a space where we wait. The only reason that we react viscerally and negatively to waiting is because the entire current of our culture teaches us that those who are in power, those who are mature, don't wait. They take whether materialistically, whether simply as a consumer, whatever it is. So everything in our world is moving in the opposite direction of what the follower of Jesus knows to be true of their disposition, that we are a people who wait in the middle of a world that looks at waiting as completely evil and contrary to anything that we could possibly desire. And so it's hard. It's very difficult. But waiting is not an action. It's not apathy. It's not simply looking at a problem and just sort of waiting around for God to do something about it. When we take the fullness of this psalm into consideration, the psalmist is not stagnant. I mean, after all, think about it. David wrote this psalm while he was waiting. He wrote other psalms while he was waiting. He's not just sitting by, not just sitting on his hands waiting for something to happen. But, but notice in this particular chapter of Romans, everything he says and does sort of builds to this crescendo, this plea, this proclamation at the end. He even navigates through every tense. He goes to the past tense and present and future, finally building to these last two verses. Let's read them again, verses 13 and 14. Here, here's what everything is building to in the psalm. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Notice that language. David is commanding his soul. David is teaching his soul something about waiting upon the Lord. So we can discern from this. This isn't easy for David either. He's talking to himself. He is preaching to himself to take courage, to be strong in the middle of waiting. And that's what's going on here. I want to suggest to you that what David is doing is he is preaching to himself. And this concept of preaching to yourself was made popular recently, or rather most recently, by a Bible teacher named Jerry Bridges. And the notion of preaching to yourself is really what's going on here in Psalm 27, and how Dr. Jerry Bridges explains that, what it means to preach to ourselves, is this, that you continually face up to your own sinfulness, he says, and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. What's that mean? Well, it's a daily, 
moment-by-moment commitment and rhythm and routine and instinct of the follower of Jesus to confess our sin, to, to admit our need, to bring before God our desires and our longings. It's, it's admitting that, but then it's clinging to Christ. When we despair, when we sin, when we are in a pandemic, when we are tempted, when we are, are just sad, when we're waiting on the Lord, we acknowledge our need, we acknowledge our sin, and then we cling to Christ because he is the one who we're waiting for. He is the one that we ultimately need. So this is preaching the gospel to ourselves. We admit our, our fallenness, we admit our need, and we admit and we, we celebrate, we confess the lordship of Jesus and all that he has done. So from, for David, in the middle of fear, in the middle of trouble, he's waiting upon the Lord and he preaches to himself and he does so in three different movements. In verses one through three, David um, affirms the Lord's work and the Lord's character. And then in verses four through six, David confesses to the Lord those shortcomings, his, his sin even. And then in verses seven through 12, David cries out to the Lord. So he affirms uh, the Lord, he confesses to the Lord and he cries out. To the Lord. So while we are waiting, while we're in the middle of waiting, we are instructed to do a number of things. While we wait for a vaccine, while we wait for our kids to go back to school, while we wait um, for a well-deserved and much-needed break and rest, while we await meaningful work, what do we do? We affirm who the Lord is and what he has done. We confess to the Lord and we cry out to the Lord. So we affirm, we confess, and we cry out. And it's good to get familiar with these rhythms and this routine. Because if church history is any indication, the pandemic is not the last time you will be called to wait upon the Lord. This is who we are. This is what the scriptures testify to. And this is the difference between the Christian and the rest of the world who does not know what we know, who has not experienced what we have experienced in our waiting. This is what's different in our waiting is that we do not sit idly by distracting ourselves from pain and numbing ourselves with various sins and addictions and technology while we wait. What do we do? We preach the gospel to ourselves because my brothers and sisters, please hear this good news. We do not just wait. We do not just wait. Look, what does the text say? What does the text tell us? It says we wait upon the Lord. So we are not waiting for something. We're not waiting for something to happen. We're not waiting for something to be delivered to us. We're not waiting for scientists to figure something out. We're not waiting for politicians to figure it out. We're not waiting to be in it together the right way as a community. What we are first, foremost, and forever waiting for, where our hope is anchored, is that we are waiting upon the Lord, and he's never late. He is never late. So in the beginning, David affirms the Lord's work and his character. Notice again in verses 1 through how he speaks of God, who he is, and what God has done. Uh, Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David speaks about the Lord, who he is, that he is his light, he is his salvation, and the stronghold of his life. And it's all very personal. As you notice, all very personal application. There's this relationship and ownership within God's nature. So each aspect of the character of God are vital 
uh, for any believer waiting upon the Lord in the middle of any kind of fear, which makes David's comments really ironic because he says, whom shall I uh, fear and whom shall I be afraid? And, and this is kind of funny because when do we say stuff like that? When do we say stuff like, I'm not afraid, like who should I be afraid of? Or I'm not, I'm not living in fear, of whom shall I fear? We say that kind of stuff when there's really good reason or good evidence for us to be a little bit fearful. So we tell everybody that we're not battling fear when we actually are battling fear. We tell people we're not afraid when we're wrestling with being afraid. And so remember, David's preaching to himself. So this is aspirational. He's reminding himself that not that I don't fear anything or I'm not afraid of anything, but even though there are things to be afraid of, even though there are things I should fear, I'm not. Why? Because God's with me, because this is who he is. He's preaching to himself. But not because see, it's not because this kind of courage and faith is out of reach. That's not that's not it. It's because he's in the middle of it. He's right in the middle of it. See, he then speaks in this past tense of, of opposition and of enemies who stumbled and fell when they tried to take him out. Now, David could be speaking about a number of different times in his life, likely when Saul was chasing him because he was in trouble a lot and ultimately looked to God regularly, not only through the Psalms, but in his life to uh, find respite, to find protection, to find deliverance. And so he, he takes us back to one of those moments and he speaks about how God delivered him from it. And so because he saw God's faithfulness, to him in those moments, he then reminds himself then that my heart shall not fear and I will be confident. He's speaking to himself about what he needs to remember in the, in the present about who God has been, who God has shown himself to be in his past experience. So let's make this plain. This is not a positive sort of self-assurance and, and him willing himself to good vibes and good energy. It's not about personal confidence. David is reminding himself in the middle of waiting, to wait with faith by affirming who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. So if you are having trouble, if you are anxious, if you are weary, if you are in the middle of waiting, if you are battling fear and if you are afraid, then remember God. Remember who the scriptures tell us he is. Remember how he has revealed himself to you. This is what we do in our waiting. And then we move into confession. This is what Psalm four through six take us into. And remember, let's keep in mind, confession is not just about sin. It's about our longings. It's also about reality and truth. It's admitting, confessing, acknowledging what is true. And, And in any case, we are making ourselves, when we confess those things, we're making ourselves vulnerable and known. And that's what David does here in allowing the Lord to know his deepest longings as he writes about them and speaks about them here in Psalm 27, verse four. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in all all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he will hide me in the shelter, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That's good news. I think we should deserve a digital zoom through the camera. Amen. That's really good news. See, part of preaching himself out of fear 
to be to, to renew his trust in the Lord is about confessing what he desires. So where is their safety? Where is their comfort? Where is their where is the, the, the fear driven away in the presence of the Lord? It's in the presence of the Lord. And so he speaks about one thing. He said, he asks the Lord one thing that motivates, that drives him, that is this deepest longing that he's confessing and bringing before the Lord. He longs to be in the house of the Lord, in the temple of the Lord, which side note is incredibly applicable for us who have not gathered in in a house of worship or in a gathering space in, in something like a church building together, though we continue to function and be the church, we, we long to gather in that kind of context as well. But if we're not careful, what, what David is asking for, we can sort of belittle and, and almost uh, sort of or, over-spiritualize. And I think that we've done this often in Christian culture, that we're thinking, we might think that David is asking to sort of be in this eternal worship service, to sort of be in this uh, building, beholding God, looking at God, thinking about how beautiful God is, singing maybe the top 40 Christian music, worship kinds of songs all day long. I don't know, whatever it might be. We get these, these images conjured up in us simply about having this worship service before God. When we read language about dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gazing at the beauty of God. But when the Bible speaks about the beauty of God, it's not simply speaking about some sort of divine aesthetic. Psalm 90 verse 17 uses the same word in a way that I think reveals more of what David's getting at. It says, let the favor, in verse 17 in Psalm 90, let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That word favor in Psalm 90 is the same word in the original language, as in Psalm 27, the word beauty. So when David longs to behold the beauty of God or the beauty of the Lord, he is longing to see the power of God, which works his hand, the works of his hand, which empower the works of the hands of his people. See, after all, God is always working in our waiting and calling us to be a people who work in the middle of of our waiting is we wait upon him to renew our strength. That's that's Isaiah 40, verse 31. So when we are then lifted up and set upon a rock, David says, we shout with joy and give the, our lives as a melody unto the Lord in acts of worship, not merely in song or in some sort of sanctuary space, but the fullness of who we are. But there's a tension in this, right? There, there is this this purposefulness, yet yet restfulness that David seems to be experiencing. That the works of God, he wants to behold them. He wants to be empowered by them. He wants to be encouraged by them. And yet he just wants to be in the presence of God. This tension, that purposefulness, yet restfulness, was, I think, summarized best by Mother Pollard. She was an elder at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, and along with Dr. Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, Mother Pollard was instrumental in the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955 and 56. Pollard walked everywhere during that time, despite her old age, despite her, her feeble condition. And in summary of her struggle, yet her faith in the Lord. So the struggle in the Montgomery bus boycott, as well as her own physical toil that she experienced during that time. And yet her faith in the Lord, she famously said this, my feet is tired, but my soul is at rest. My feet is tired, 
but my soul is at rest. This woman was purposeful as she waited upon the Lord to bring justice, to bring healing, to show up in power. See, though her waiting was not in vain, to be sure her, the work that the Lord did in and through her brought much progress, we still wait for the fullness of justice to take hold of our churches, our country, and our world. And this elusive condition, which makes a home in the heart of the Christian, we, we ultimately then are, are invited by that condition into this daily struggle or this great battle. But in Christ, we are at the very same time, at the very same moment that we are in that battle, we are in that struggle, we are weary, we are tired. At the very same moment, we are able to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beautiful works of God. This is paradoxical. It, se- it seems to be contradictory that this beholding him actually strengthens us for the works that he has called us to. It's a purposefulness in the work that God has for us, yet, yet we are hidden in him in the shelter in the day of trouble. And I'd like to suggest to you that, that when you are in Christ, you are always in worldly trouble, yet you are always protected. We are always in worldly trouble, and yet we are always protected, meaning that because God calls us to holiness and justice, we are always undone and we always look at the world and see that it is undone as well. And we always are seeking to see this world remade and restored and renewed. However, we, we should never take the fullness of that burden upon our shoulders like we can't take a day off. Like it's up to us to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to clothe every naked body, to be the ones that ultimately are the mediators between heaven and earth, when that alone is God's work. This is why the Christian is meant to routinely rest every single week, not because all of the work is done, but as the great Jewish proverb said, we rest because we're free. We rest because we are free. And in resting, we get to enjoy God. We get to behold God and be filled up for meaningful work the rest of the week. See, we, we have this confidence that it is the Lord who faithfully completes every work that he begins. And he is the one, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, who works, who, who works in us to both will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we are purposeful, yet we are restful. We may be scraped thin like butter on toast, but our our feet may even be tired, but our souls are rested. In many respects, Psalm 27, one through six is actually a full psalm. It includes every element that many psalms incorporate. And if it were left to such, if it was just verses one through six, it would be what's called a testimony psalm. Essentially saying, here's what God has done and I'm gonna trust in what God has done and give him thanks for it, right? It ends in this, or verse six uh, does in this sort of, I'm gonna sing and make melody and praise. And you're like, that's great. Let's go home. Let's enjoy the rest of the afternoon. But David keeps going and he turns the Psalm almost into lament. And it shifts so much that many people have tried to argue that there are two writers, but I think we'll see in a minute that this is all David. Psalm 27, verse seven. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do, do I seek. 
Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I think verses one through six is the first six months of the pandemic. It's, it's almost as if we were like, okay, we affirmed the Lord. We've, we've confessed what we desire. We said he is our light. He is our salvation. We thought happy thoughts and were warm, fuzzy text messages. Maybe we even wrote letters, nice updates on Facebook, right? We sang songs through Zoom. We loved gathering digitally with our groups. We were even joyful about it. We served our neighbors. We grieved. We lamented. We worked hard. We waited. We, we did, God, what you told us to do. And yet here we are nine months in and we still wait. We're waiting. And we're weary because suffering leads to waiting and waiting makes us weary. So we say like, David, hear me when I cry aloud. This is, this is that shift in verse seven. There's this desperation and deeper weariness that begins to set in. See, though early on in our struggle and in our waiting, we were confident that God was listening. Now we stay, say stuff like, be gracious to me, answer me. In other words, we're doing what you told us to, right? Are you hearing us? Is any of this getting through? Relent. Help, don't turn your face from us, right? Am I preaching to you yet? So, so I see us in those first six verses and the first six months of all of this. And this shift is definitely David because this is so human. This is so much of our experience. And it's when we don't hear God, when we feel like we are not hearing from him, we stop remembering what he has done and we stop remembering who he is. We, we neglect his works and we neglect his character. We do what C.S. Lewis described as doubting in the dark what we never questioned in the light. Or what Samuel Rutherford, 17th century Scottish Presbyterian pastor, puts positively. Christ charges me, he says, to believe his daylight at midnight. Christ charges me to believe, or to believe his daylight at midnight. That's hard. That's really difficult. You see, we're prone to down in quarantine what we never would have questioned pre-pandemic. Notice how the psalmist's tone changes, not only for cries of desperation, but also the same person who remembered stories of divine deliverance is now saying, are you angry with me? Are you hiding your face from me? Are you casting me off? There is this level of candidness and of questioning and of vulnerability and really of questioning the most fundamental aspects of God's nature. Again, this is, I think, incredibly human. This is what we do. This is what we are doing right now. In fact, I think we've taken it even a step further than David. See, David is at least still talking to God and crying out to God. Some of us are so weary that we can't even remember what God's voice sounds like. It's been a minute since we just were still enough to hear his word, to listen to his voice, and to recall who he is and what he has done. We're weary and we're not waiting well. But you see, the hope in this is that David continues, even in crying out, even in frustration, even in the question, David is still reaching out 
to the Lord, listening for his voice and longing for him. This is incredibly hopeful. Why? Because God still receives us in that condition. God still receives us in questioning. God still receives us when we're in the middle of lament and pain and frustration and confusion and all of these things. He receives us. Why? Because we're still coming to him humbly. It's when we stop talking and stop listening. This is the most arrogant thing that we could do. This is the most broken thing, the most weary thing, the most anti-Christian thing that we can do is to stop speaking about and recalling Christ. One of the reasons I think that we lose our sense of worship, and I wonder if you've experienced this, and lose our ability to hear or listen to the voice of God in the middle of a pandemic is because, at least from my vantage point, we have two modes, we have two speeds, and I think they're revealed even more during this pandemic, is that two speeds, we have productivity and laziness. Productivity and laziness. It's almost like there's no in-between. We are either giving ourselves over to the fever of work or we are simply vegging and, and releasing ourselves from that work to completely do nothing. We are either getting things done or doing nothing. And the kind of nothing, which it's, is merely about the consumption of social media or entertainment, but doesn't actually nourish the soul and refresh the body. It's what 20th century Neil Postman, 20th century theorist Neil Postman called amusing ourselves to death. Honestly, these may be the two modes that we are constantly navigating, and the pandemic is really just kind of showing us ourselves in its pure form. See, observing a a similar tendency in the modern church, author and speaker Marva Dawn wrote this, to worship the Lord is in the world's eyes a waste of time. It is indeed a royal waste of time, but a waste nonetheless. She goes on, but engaging in it, we don't accomplish anything useful in our society's terms. Worship ought not to be construed in a utilitarian way. Its purpose is not to gain numbers for our churches to be seen as successful. Rather, the entire reason for our worship is that God deserves it. Is that God deserves it. Church, we as a world are suffering. We individually and as a world are weary. And when we are weary, we don't wait well because we don't worship. Worship somehow is edged out by these two modes of productivity and laziness. And we don't have enough energy, we think. We can't put ourselves together enough to worship. Whether it's in a Sunday gathering whether it's with our groups, whether it's in our daily lives of doing all that we are and doing all that we do unto the glory of God and offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. In the words of Maradon, we don't waste time with the Lord. We don't waste time in the space of beholding God and submitting ourselves by listening to his word. So let me just put this to you. Let me just ask, because I need to ask myself, When was the last time you just let God take care of you? When you just let his truths and his truth, his character, his nature, his love for you, his deep affection and deep delight and deep joy, part of the joy set before Christ, 
when he behold the cross, the joy set before him was first and foremost the glory of his father, but it was also you and me, his people. When was the last time you just let God comfort you? Just let him remind you without any caveats, without saying, I know that you love me, but I know that you'll provide for me, but when was the last time you just let him care for you and take care of you, his his child? See, the power to do this and the pathway even to do this, to wait like this comes from Jesus. After all, was not he the son of God from eternity past who waited, who waited until what Paul describes in Galatians 4 as the fullness of time. Hear this, Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Think about that. God waited. God waited. From eternity past until just the right moment, until the fullness of time, in the, his brilliance and beautiful design, he knew just the right moment to send his one and only son into the world to save the world. How incredibly gracious is our God that he never asks us to do something he has not already been willing to do, fully accomplished, and then empowers us to accomplish. In fact, the son still waits, or rather he waits again, this time to return and make heaven and earth one. Think about that. Through all the pain and confusion and disease and sin and brokenness and evil and deception and suffering and and the, the problem and pain in marriage and in raising children and in basic relationships and the fundamentals of communication in the middle of all of the chaos and confusion of this world, the sun still waits. Can you even imagine how he longs to put all of this to an end? Can you imagine how much he desires to show up and restore all of this and mend all of this and put all of this to rights? And yet he still waits. Some take that as a condemnation against God, but Jesus wants the church to be purified more than we do. Jesus wants his kingdom to come more than we ever could. Jesus wants to to bring about the rebirth and renewal of this world more than we could ever fathom. He wants to bring healing and health and wholeness more than we could possibly imagine. And yet he waits. He waits for more to be redeemed. He waits for more people to be reconciled. He waits to see his people respond in obedience and joy and faithfulness to his word. He waits for many reasons that you and I will never know until the age to come. And yet he still waits. Knowing that the Lord has waited and continues to wait, we are then empowered by his spirit to do the same. And David's words, his last words in Psalm 27, then ring true for us, empowering us as we wait upon the Lord. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, knowing that Jesus has come, we can believe that he will come again one day. And so we wait. Like the many faithful women and men who loved the Lord long before 
the original advent, the first advent of Christ, we then are emboldened by their faithfulness. We are emboldened by their spirit of humility and and of joy and of courage and strength like David writes about here as we long for the second coming. And on that day, David's hope will be realized. We shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land or in the realm of the living. And that future assurance, because of that future assurance, because of that past assurance of what Jesus has done and of what God has done and of what he has promised to do because of what is behind us and what is before us, we can be strong. We can take courage. Do you see? To be sure, we are waiting for that day when we will be removed and all this hardship will cease. All of this pain will be no more. Tears will be no more. Suffering will be no more. But in the middle of all of that, Between the already and not yet, we are made strong. We are made courageous in the presence of the Lord that we might wait well right now, that we might wait well as followers of Jesus. And so we daily preach the gospel to ourselves. In the middle of our waiting, whether it's for a pandemic to end or whether it is for Jesus to return, we preach the gospel to ourselves as we wait. That is, we affirm the works of God. We affirm his character. We confess to the Lord our sin and our longings, and we cry out to the Lord. All of this is worship. All of this is what lays our souls in rest, though our feet may be weary. We may be scraped thin in this life, but in Christ, we never wait alone, and we will never wait in vain. And so God, help us to that end, and your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.